it is so good to see everybody here this morning. And I see as I look out, we have lots and lots of visitors with us this morning. And we're certainly grateful for that. I see uh, Angela has a wagon full of grandkids over there. And I see Roddy and Mary are with us. And Doug and Donna have a passel of grandkids as well. And, and uh, lots of other visitors. And we are certainly glad that you are here uh, with us this morning. Now, Jamie, I want you to know, Jesus told the parable. You remember the parable of the wedding banquet? And that those who had been invited, that uh, they, the, then the master sent out. And those that had been invited began to all make excuses one by one. And so the master said, go out into the highway and the byway and find me people. Now, I'm not saying that we went out into the highway and the byway to find you. You're doing a fine job. You're doing a great job. I'm just telling you the hand I was dealt. And I appreciate you helping out. You're doing a, you know, but like we said, with this group, it doesn't take much. Just kind of get it started and, and uh, it goes well. So appreciate that. I also want to thank everybody who helped with Vacation Bible School yesterday. Uh, it was a great day. Had about 34, 36 kids. Well, more than that, when you add in the two and three-year-olds in the credit roll, I think we're about 44 uh, and, uh, had a marvelous day. If you missed all the decorations and everything, you should have seen it. It was wonderful. We had a great cleanup crew. In fact, they were a little over energetic because this was magnificent. This was a flowing river coming out here and it had rocks and trees and all this stuff. And I had told Aaron, I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to leave that up there for tomorrow morning. I think it'll look good and I'll even somehow fit it into the lesson and it'll be just fine. And we had this big boat and this big boat stays down in the, in the bus barn. And so we had it up here and so we needed to take it down. And so I got some of the guys and I go down to take the bus to the bus barn, to the boat, to the bus barn. Maybe it's the boat barn. Maybe the bus is in the boat barn. I don't know. But anyway, took the boat to the bus barn. And when I came back, it vanished. It was all gone. The cleanup crew thought, well, so anyway, I appreciate the cleanup crew. Very good. Uh, And those who help with the classes, those who help with the meal, those who help decorate, uh, those who brought children, those who, you know, told their neighbors about it. We appreciate you very much. It was a, it was a great day and I know the children enjoyed it. Also want to mention that, uh, uh, for several years now, we have participated in the, uh, community, uh, summer feeding program, uh, where they, uh, make sack lunches. The school makes sack lunches for children in the community. And, uh, our week to hand those out is this week, Monday through Thursday. Uh, somebody, the intern dude will pick the meals up at the, uh, at the school and we'll take them to the city park. But we need volunteers to be up at the city park from a little bit before 11 to about 1230 on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So if you can, uh, help us with that, greatly appreciate it. I've got a sign up sheet right here. So when you come to me, I will put your name right on it. Uh, so if you can help with that this week, that would be fantastic. One more little housekeeping item, then we'll get into the lesson. I promise you, promise you. Uh, if I leave real quickly, there's a reason. 
the plague has descended upon my family. It started with Peyton late yesterday afternoon. It went to Brittany late last night. And it reached Kenya about 5 o'clock this morning. So I'm a ticking time bomb. (laughs) So if I'm in the middle of a point and I say, here's the invitation, you'll know. But we have been in the book of Hebrews. We started the book of Hebrews and we have been using as our theme verse for the whole study. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 that says, Let us encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that no one may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. This letter is all about encouragement. It's all about encouraging Christians who who were on the verge, many of them, of giving up. And we might think to ourselves, as we sit here this morning, uplifted and encouraged, we might think to ourselves, why would anybody give up? Why would anybody give up to Christianity? But we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen. People that we know, people that we love, maybe even people that we look up to, give up their Christianity. There may be some in here this morning who have a really nice smile on their face. But you're about to give up. You're thinking of giving up. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, don't give up. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says to each one of us, encourage each other. Encourage each other not to give up what we have. We started off by looking at what the writer says about the fact that that Jesus' words are superior. Now, the whole theme is that Jesus is superior, the superiority of Jesus, the preeminence. It goes along with our study on Sunday mornings in Colossians. But he says, you know, God spoke to us long ago through the prophets and everything, but he has now spoken to us through his son. Not that what was said before wasn't important, but when the son speaks... You better listen. He goes on to talk about how that Jesus is superior to the angels. Angels are cool. Angels are neat. I don't understand everything about angels, but, but you know, they're, they're great. But they're not as great as Jesus. Jesus is far superior to the angels, the writer says. Then he brings in a little warning. He says, be careful. Pay attention. So that you don't drift. We don't want to drift. And then he says, how shall we escape if we neglect or ignore our great salvation? And that's one of those rhetorical questions. The answer is we will not escape. And so we looked at how a couple weeks ago about our great salvation and why it is so great. And that brings us to our passage for this morning. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Go ahead, Boyd. In Hebrews 2, verse 5, he begins. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and you put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. 
Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am. And the children God has given me. You know, it's kind of interesting, I think, that in the middle of a discussion, now you got to remember, this is kind of put in the middle of a discussion on Jesus' superiority to the angels. That was the original discussion. That Jesus is greater than the angels. And it's interesting that in the middle of this discussion about Jesus being greater than the angels, we have this little blip in there about how that Jesus was made lower than the angels. What? That doesn't seem right. You've been arguing all the rest of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 how Jesus is far superior to the angels and now you say that he was made lower than the angels. That's right. We'll get to that a little more in just a minute. But in this section, we find some very important lessons for us. Lesson number one is that mankind lost its destiny. I was looking, I looked up the word destiny in the dictionary. And it said, and I thought, English teachers of which I am not one. But I always thought that one rule of defining a word was you couldn't use the word in the definition. Well, somebody didn't tell Webster that. Because I looked up destiny and it said, that to which you are destined. That was the number one definition. I thought, well, that doesn't seem right. So I went to definition number two. A predetermined course of events. Now, let me ask you something. Do you feel as if you have a destiny? Have you ever felt that something has happened in your life? Circumstances, just, you know, the planets aligned or whatever you want to say. And it just seemed as if you you had a destiny. You know, we see that in scripture. Joseph had all these terrible things happen to him. His brothers hated him, sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife accused him. He's thrown into prison. The cupbearer forgets him and he stays in prison. And then eventually, and then all of a sudden his brothers come and, and everything. And they're shocked and scared to death. This is, this is the, you know, uh, Cliff Notes version. Yeah, okay. And uh, the brothers are there and they're scared to death when he reveals himself. And he said, no, 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 no. What you intended for harm... God meant for good. In other words, Joseph says, this was my destiny. This is what I was put here for. In the book of Esther, 
Esther's cousin comes to her, comes to her and says, you know, you need to go in and talk to the king so that you might save all of the people. And Esther's like, oh, whoa, whoa. You know, there's a lot of ifs about that and it's not really very safe. And Mordecai says to her, how do you know but what God has put you in this place for this? How do you not know that it, this is your destiny? You see, God created man, mankind. God created man with a destiny. And that destiny was to have rule, dominion, and authority over all creation. Go to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living living creature that moves along the ground. That was man's destiny. That was man's God-ordained destiny. To rule, have dominion, have authority over all the rest of his creation. Cool, right? That's amazing. We talk about awesome and being awestruck in the presence of God. How about being awestruck by the destiny that God had for mankind? But mankind couldn't handle it. Man couldn't deal with it. And because of sin, man relinquished his destiny. Man's destiny was taken from him. Mankind no longer has all dominion and rule authority over creation. We still have some. We still have some. But not all. Romans tells us that all of creation groans and is subject to the consequences of sin. Because sin came into the world, mankind gave up its destiny, relinquished its destiny. Or should we say God took the destiny from mankind when he threw him out of the garden and he placed the curses on man and woman and said, no longer will you rule over creation now. There's going to be weeds and thorns and all these other different things that you're going to have to contend with. All because of a piece of fruit. A piece of fruit. Mankind relinquished his destiny. It reminds me of Esau. Esau, who gave up his birthright. The birthright was his. It was going to be his. Jacob was going to give it to him. No, Jacob wasn't. Isaac was going to give it to him. Isaac was going to give it to him. But he was just so hungry. He gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. And mankind gave up its destiny, its God-ordained destiny, because of a piece of fruit. Disobeying God and sin entered the world. 
like the prodigal son. We were at rock bottom, hopeless, helpless, doomed. The ruler became the slave. Romans chapter 5. Mankind lost its glory and honor and destiny and its relationship with God. At camp that we had a couple weeks ago. Each team, everybody's divided into teams and they play sports on these teams. But one of the things they do on these teams is they make videos. And to be honest with you, I've never really been a fan of the team videos. You know, it's kind of like, huh. But this year's videos by far were the best videos as a whole I have ever seen in all my years of seeing videos. Now, you got to understand when we first started doing videos for camp, the, the camera was this big, you know, and sat on somebody's shoulder. And there was no editing or sound dubbing or anything like that. It was just stop and record. That, that was it. So now they have all this stuff to make it, you know, incredible. But anyway, one of the videos this year was a takeoff of the SPCA commercials. You know, the one where they come on and they show the dogs and the cats and all the poor animals and things like that. Anyway, and it was kind of about the, the poor lost children of Netz's camp. You know, anyway, it was a takeoff on that. Now, I got to be honest with you. When that commercial comes on television, well, of course, I got to be honest with you. When any commercial comes on television, I change the channel. But in particular, if that commercial comes on, I change the channel. If any of those commercials about the starving children in Africa and for 25 cents a day, you can, you know, I I, I switch the channel. It's not because I don't care. It's not because I'm not aware of the situation or the problem. I just don't like to see that. It's painful, whether it be the animals or the children, either one. But because of our lost destiny, we are those poor animals. We are hopeless. We are helpless. We are doomed. And the price that had to be paid to redeem us was greater than 10 cents a day. It was God's own son. To bring us back into that relationship. And that brings us to the second point. And that is that Jesus restored mankind's humanity. Or destiny, excuse me. Mankind's destiny. Look at verse 9 again. It says, and we, but we see Jesus. Who was made lower than the angels. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It reminds me again of what we found in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Whoop, I got to go the other way. Have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be held onto or grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this is my attempt at a flow chart. Okay? There's God. There's angels. There's man. A little lower than the angels. That's what it says in Psalm 8. That's what it says here. And what it says in Philippians 2 and what it also says here is that Jesus, who is God, was made a little lower than the angels. In other words, he was put on our level. He was put in our station, which he's going to talk about more the end of this chapter. We'll get to that next week, maybe, or some week anyway. But he was made a little lower than the angels. So that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. He came to earth, took on humanity. Through Jesus, mankind's destiny has been restored. Through Jesus, we receive glory and honor. He uses the term here and also in chapter 12 when he talks about Jesus being the author of our salvation. The captain, the perfecter, the pioneer of our salvation. He's the one who brings our salvation to us. The writer will go on to say that the old law could not restore man's destiny. In fact, in many ways, the old law was just a reminder of how far from God we really were. You remember in the Old Testament under the old law, yeah, God was everywhere. You know, God's God. But there was a special sense in which God really only appeared to Israel once a year. On the day of atonement. And only the high priest would get to go into the holy of holy place. In other words, he really didn't appear to everybody. He really wasn't at everybody's access as he is now. And certain things in the law, all the sacrifices, all that, were really just to remind the people how far away from God their sins were. And the writer comes along a little later in Hebrew and says, why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to a system that does nothing but remind you of how far away from God you are when you have right here Jesus Christ who brings us back to God? Why would you do that? He says. Jesus is, restores us back to our destiny. But in Christ, everything changes. Our destiny and our relationship with God is restored. Now, here's what, you don't have to hang with me a tad on this one. I'm a little out in left field, but not far. Left center, perhaps. We now have an even better destiny. God's original destiny for mankind was to have rule, dominion, and authority over the earthly creation. That was man's original destiny. We ruined that. We ruined it with sin. We ruined it. So God had a plan. God had a plan to restore the relationship between mankind and himself. But the plan was even better. With the destiny that was provided. 
Because now through Jesus, our destiny goes way beyond anything that has to do with ruling and authority on this earth. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 11. I love this. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. That ought to give you goosebumps. That Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call you and me brothers and sisters. Wow. Wow. That goes all the way back. Remember, we, I talk about this all the, all the time with the prodigal son. The prodigal son would have been happy. Would have been absolutely satisfied to have been welcomed back as a servant. And the father said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You're my son. If God had just provided enough salvation to keep me out of hell, I'd have been satisfied. You know what I mean? I'd have been satisfied with that. If he'd have provided just enough salvation to keep me out of hell, whew, I'd have been happy. I'd have been satisfied. Whoa. But he did so much more. He went so much further. He has blessed us beyond what we can even hope or imagine. And that's why I love this verse in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. It may be my favorite verse in the whole Bible, at least right at this moment. How great is the love the Father has lavished. On us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Whoa! How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are joint heirs, we saw, with Christ. We are siblings of Christ. That's what it says. We are children of God. We share in the inheritance. Jesus became like us. And I don't know how far you want to go with this. But Jesus became like us. So that we could become like him. Other places of the Bible talk about the righteousness that's being revealed more and more every day. The idea that we are joint heirs with Christ. The idea that the honor and glory that the Father had bestowed on Him, Jesus then bestows on us. And He calls us brothers. And He's not ashamed of it. He's glad to call us brothers. You see, what God has restored to us is more than we ever had in the beginning. 
It's more than just dominion over this creation. It's sharing in the divine inheritance. It's sharing in the nature of God's son being called a brother. We'll get more into this a little bit next week. But you remember in John chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then we skip down to verse 14, that verse I like. Not that I don't like all of them, but you know. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Isn't that cool? Jesus was made a lower than the angels. We'll see next week. He says he partook of the fleshly nature of his brothers. He became like us. He pitched his tent among us. Why? So that he could go and prepare a place where we will get to pinch, pitch our tent among him. John chapter 14 Verses 1 through 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. I'm going to paraphrase a tad. Jesus says, I came and I pitched my tent among you. But I am going and I am preparing your tent. I am preparing your place so that one day you will come and you will live where I am. Wow. What a destiny. What a destiny provided by Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and there's some way we can help or encourage you in your search for your destiny, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.